The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 50 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 46, The Agony and the Anthill. This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by John Buscema, inks by Vince Collada, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in November of 1967. That's right, folks, we have made it to episode number 50. I'm very excited that we have made it this far, and I am very excited to see all of the places that we are going to go over the next oh, 450 or so episodes while we cover the rest of the Avengers. Uh, who am I kidding? It's going to be a lot more than that because there's a lot more side stuff that I'm going to throw in here. But 50 episodes down, and I don't know how many more to go. Taking a look at our cover this week, I'm kind of blah on this cover. Not really a fan. For starters, there's way too many words on the cover. Secondly, Whirlwind's head appears out of nowhere and has that kind of Jesus glow around it. If you take a look at medieval art, illuminated manuscripts, you see that kind of heavenly glow around Jesus in a lot of those paintings. That's the same thing Whirlwind's got going around his head there. I don't like the fact that Wasp is in the background helpless while Goliath is fighting off these ants, and the Avengers faces down in the bottom honestly don't look very good. Specifically, I'm looking at the first three from the left, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Hercules. They're not very good looking, so the issue's not off to a great start in that regard. Once we open the issue, however, and we get our splash page, we see the Avengers' newly redecorated den, and although it's very 1960s, I think it looks kind of cool. I'd actually like to hang out there. But here we see most of the Avengers hanging out together, enjoying some downtime since their last adventure. To start us off, we have Quicksilver, Goliath, Hercules, Scarlet Witch, and Captain America all kind of talking about what's going on, but in general, everyone seems to notice that Captain America is really distracted. As we see in an editor's note, this issue will take place just before the issue, Tales of Suspense number 95. Now, we talked about that a lot last week, but just to remind you guys, that's the issue where Captain America will actually hang up his shield for a little while in order to pursue a romantic relationship with Agent 13. Throughout the early parts of this issue, Captain America is highly distracted. His mind is on what he should do about Sharon Carter, and I like it a lot. One, I think it provides a better lead into what happens in Cap's own story, and secondly, I think it enhances the sense of common universe here. You know, one of the things that modern superhero comics do really well, and I actually think the Silver Age does much better since it's a much tighter universe, fewer heroes and whatnot, is that events that happen in one book affect what happens in another book. So the fact that Captain America is going through this crisis of conscience in his own title plays into how he thinks and acts and feels in Avengers. And I think that's great. That's possibly one of the best things about the Silver Age. There's a lot of fun things. There's a lot of goofy and dumb things too. But I think this is really one of the strengths of the Silver Age. Now, before we can get too deeply into Captain America's thoughts, however, Black Widow and Hawkeye show up, or to be more specific, Hawkeye and Natasha, because Black Widow is wearing civilian clothing, and she 
reaffirms to the Avengers that she is in fact going to give up superheroics. And the Avengers are pretty supportive of it. It's a little odd to see Widow out of costume, but it's nice. And again, I think it really reinforces her decision to step away from costumed heroics. And in a lot of ways, it makes her stand out and stand apart from everyone else who surrounds her for these first couple of panels when she returns. Now, almost immediately after she returns, so does Wasp, also in civilian clothing. Wasp, however, is not alone. She has with her what Goliath accuses is an unauthorized guest. And apparently it is her new chauffeur, Charles, who she claims comes with excellent references. To me, this is just another example of Wasp being out of character. It really feels like between what happened last issue and what's going on this issue that they're trying to make Wasp far more shallow than she used to be. In fairness, she is a female comic book character in the 1960s, so she is frequently concerned about shopping and her hair and her outfit, but I think now that she's come into money, they're kind of running with that idea and fairly significantly changing the character to be far more concerned with outward appearances than previously characterized, and I don't like it. So as Charles makes his way out of Avengers Mansion, we see a rather sinister thought bubble that Charles no longer needs Wasp because he's seen the inside of Avengers headquarters. And we will find out here shortly that Charles is in fact not quite what he seems. However, before that happens, we get to see the Avengers taking a little bit of a break and getting into some leisure activities. Goliath and Wasp are going to spend some time doing research. Natasha, Hawkeye... Scarlet Witch and Hercules are all going to go for a walk, and Quicksilver and Captain America are going to go to a baseball game as soon as Cap finishes his chapter of Tolkien, because here we have the first introduction of Captain America, Super Nerd. As it turns out, and you know, to be perfectly honest, it makes a lot of sense, Cap is a huge dork, and not just in the historical anachronism kind of dork. As we see here, Cap is a big fan of fantasy, and I cannot find the reference for this, but I will keep looking. But at some point, Captain America actually works as either a comics writer or comics artist. I don't remember which one. But Captain America actually makes comic books. So Cap is a giant nerd at heart, which just endears him to me more. Also, I decided to look into this a little bit because Captain America discusses that he was always a sucker for far-out fantasy. And I was kind of curious based on when Cap was frozen, whether or not this Tolkien material would be new to him. Because 1967, I knew at that point it wasn't brand new then, but I was kind of curious how that fell in relation to Cap becoming a Capsicle. And as it turns out, The Hobbit was written in 1937, so Cap would have been able to read that, in fact, even prior to his Captain America Super Soldier era. Lord of the Rings, however, was written from 1937 to 1949, but it wasn't published until 1954 to 55. It was basically published in its standard three volumes over the course of a year. So Lord of the Rings, which is arguably the best of Tolkien's work is new stuff to Captain America. So that's kind of fun for him. You know, I think a lot of us can think back on our first reading of The Hobbit or of Lord of the Rings and can understand why Cap can't put his book down until he's finished the chapter. 
Now, as Hercules and Scarlet Witch get ready to go on their walk, Scarlet Witch steps out to go change, and so does Hercules, and he comes back really quite the dapper man. He has shaved off his beard, trimmed his hair, and put on a very stylish suit, to which Hawkeye, who has also changed, describes his transformation as having pulled a little Samson bit. Obviously, Samson being the biblical hero whose power was related to not cutting his hair. I also like the fact that Hawkeye references Samson, and Hercules doesn't get it, because I like the idea that Hercules, although he, in theory, was around at that point in time, he was off doing his own Hercules thing and not really paying attention to the world at large. So, I really appreciate that. And, once again, we see a little bit more of the romantic stirrings between Scarlet Witch and Hercules. Also something I enjoy. So while our two couples, or two very nearly couples, Hercules, Scarlet Witch, Black Widow, and Hawkeye all go out for their walk, we return to our chauffeur, Charles, who has made his way home, strips out of his chauffeur's uniform, dons what looks like a cheap green bondage suit, and declares himself the Whirlwind. Now, the Whirlwind, as we will find out in a moment here, is really just a rebranding of a villain named the Human Top, who we have mentioned before, specifically in regards to Tales to Astonish number 59. We talked about him in episode number 9, which is the episode that covered Avenger number 8, Kang the Conqueror's first appearance, and we discussed that in the context of being the issue in which Goliath and Wasp stopped having to rely on pills in order to change size. And the human top is a reoccurring Goliath, Ant-Man, Giant-Man villain, and he's shown up in six different issues of Tales to Astonish. And effectively his powers are that he can spin himself really fast like a human top, which is where he got his original name, and kind of has a, a tornado effect around him, which makes sense giving his new moniker the Whirlwind. So we get the next page describing the Whirlwind's backstory and origin for people who haven't read Tales to Astonish. Now I understand that last issue I said that I, I kind of like short flashbacks that tell us who these villains are, so we just have a strong mental understanding and, and we can place them properly. This flashback, however, I don't much care for. And there's a couple of reasons for it. The first one is that it's extremely repetitive. We see three separate panels of the human top spinning around and either committing a crime or harassing other people. Basically, one as a kid as a bully, one as a teen robbing a store, and one as a young adult robbing a bank payroll. For one, none of these are particularly interesting. Two, three out of five panels are basically telling us the exact same thing, just an escalation. That really could have been done with one panel of demonstration and one panel of narration, and then we could have moved on, but instead we get like five panels of this, and it's just not all that interesting. He's a guy who spins around in circles really fast, and there's only so much of that I really care about. But nevertheless, we demonstrate repeatedly that the Whirlwind can, in fact, spin in circles very fast, and then we cut back to Avengers Mansion, where Goliath, Wasp, and Captain America are hanging out in Goliath's lab, and Goliath is explaining his new experiment. In this particular instance, Goliath is going to work on increasing his control over red ants because he admits that in the past he's never really had as much control over them as other types of ants. And I like this for a couple of reasons. The first one is that I really like the idea that Goliath is trying to improve his craft. He's not 
content with being static, with accepting his abilities, his powers as they are. He's looking to push his limits, push his boundaries. And I think that's a necessary thing in a superhero book. Obviously, you have to fight the concept of power creep, which is a very real problem, especially in the current era of comics. But at the same time, if the hero never changes, it doesn't make for a very dynamic book. And eventually, a villain has to come along that's going to outsmart, outclass, outpower them. So if the hero can't step up to that challenge, it doesn't really make them much of a hero. The other reason I really like this is that with the inclusion of Hercules, Goliath is no longer the strong man on the team. And as a result, he's not really certain of his place on the team anymore. He realizes that his ability to change size, both big and small, is useful, but he's looking to find himself a better niche on the team. So not only is he working on his tech, his equipment, but in a lot of ways, this is a journey of self-discovery for Goliath so that he can help define his new place on the team. And that's a lot of depth for a comic book. I'm not saying that comic books don't have depth, but certainly the common perception is that they don't, that it's a lot of guys in tights punching each other. And it's stories like this and character development along these lines that really helps to break that stereotype. So as Hank and Wasp get into their experiment, Quicksilver calls to Captain America and the two of them head out to their baseball game. After a little bit, once they've really gotten going on the experiment, Wasp and Goliath notice that one of the walls nearby starts to vibrate, and in crashes Whirlwind. Now, I'm a little disappointed here that Whirlwind just decided to smash through the wall. He spent all of this time and effort getting into Avengers Mansion, taking a look at the security systems they had, all that kind of stuff, when in fact, all he ends up doing is just smashing his way in. And I feel like they could have done something differently with that. Now, the character freely admits that going in through the front door is not an option like he had hoped because of all the security, which one, it's really nice to see that the Avengers have finally put in security, and two, that's an understandable plot element. But I was disappointed that they didn't take that further and come up with a different way for him to make it into Avengers Mansion other than just battering his way in. Now, apparently, since the last time Whirlwind and Goliath have fought, Whirlwind has been able to increase his speed, and so Goliath is unable to land a punch on him, and eventually Whirlwind maneuvers Wasp and Goliath so that they are in the firing arc of Goliath's reducing ray. Now, Whirlwind doesn't know what it does, but he figured that it had to do something so he'd get them in front of it and start pushing buttons. And it seems a little disappointing, a little odd, that Whirlwind appears to have a better understanding and more knowledge of the layout of Goliath's lab than Goliath does, because the hero should never have allowed himself to get into this kind of situation. In fact, he probably should have avoided that reducing ray at all costs. But nevertheless, our pair of heroes allow themselves to be reduced, and in a standard villain self-sabotaging kind of move, Whirlwind doesn't crush Wasp and Goliath. He instead dumps them into the anthill, which Goliath was planning to experiment with, and plans to let the ants kill them. Now, the upside to this is that I think some of the most interesting stuff in the issue happens in the anthill, and also it helps Hank further his self-discovery and forces him to work without his powers, which is always kind of an interesting thing to do to superheroes, because since 
The pair didn't use their powers to reduce their size. Wasp doesn't have her wings. Goliath doesn't have his enhanced strength. And as part of their experiment, they removed the cybernetic ant controls from their costumes and had attached them to a computer of sorts. So they really are down here with absolutely no powers, no advantages. And it does make it interesting. Now, of course, almost right away, the pair run into an ant and they are forced to flee, only barely making it into a small crack where the ant couldn't get to. And this crack happens to be up against the glass of the anthill. So Wasp and Goliath are able to see Whirlwind planting a time bomb in some of the Avengers equipment. And again, this is another example of villain self-sabotaging. I don't understand why Whirlwind would use a time bomb. He could literally just plant the bomb, walk away from Avengers Mansion, right out the giant hole he made, and then blow it up. Would he get all the Avengers? No. Would he get the two that he really hates? Yeah. If you're already not going to kill them, you're already planning to blow up the building, though, just blow it up. Don't screw around with timers and all these other things. Just blow it up. Now, while... The pair are looking out of the ant colony. They fail to see another couple of ants sneak up behind them, one of which manages to get Goliath by the leg. And it's only because of the quick thinking of Wasp that he's saved, because Wasp finds a piece of wire that somehow made its way into the colony. She passes it up to Goliath, and he is able to use it as a weapon and frees himself from the ant. Now, as this drama in the ant colony is going on, Captain America and Quicksilver return because their baseball game has gotten rained out. At which point they see the giant hole in the wall come running in only to find Whirlwind. Now I have two issues right here. First is that in every exterior shot we've seen this issue, it is an absolutely beautiful blue sky, no clouds whatsoever. So I don't buy that their baseball game got rained out. Secondly, the two gentlemen return in sports coats and trousers. You know, pretty standard, semi-casual 1960s clothing. In the next panel, that is, quote, scant seconds later, both men are in costume. I can buy it from Quicksilver because of his speed, but unless Captain America is constantly wearing his costume under his clothing, including his shield, there is no way that scant seconds later he's in costume. However, regardless of how time actually flowed, Quicksilver and Captain America rush in to engage with Whirlwind. And although they have some initial struggles, we'll call them, pretty quickly they are able to overcome Whirlwind and begin to kind of wreak havoc on him. To be perfectly honest, Whirlwind's kind of a one-trick pony, right? He spins really fast. Once you've figured that out, and once you've realized that that's basically all he can do, you know, it's fairly easy to adapt to that and take him down, which is exactly what Captain America and Quicksilver begin to do. Now, back in the anthill, Goliath and Wasp are very much in a life-or-death struggle against these ants. Although Goliath really steps up and brings the fight to a couple of the ants, several more show up and are able to overwhelm him. So at this point, it is up to Wasp. And this is part of the reason the cover irritates me as much as it does, is that on the cover, Wasp is very helpless. But here, Wasp picks up the piece of wire from Goliath and takes on the biggest freaking ant there. As it turns out, Wasp is able to find a weak point, kill the ant, and the ant is in fact the queen ant, and Wasp therefore is able to gain some level of control over the ant. It's not the cybernetic level of control that they might be able to gain otherwise, but by killing the queen, she seems to have taken the queen's place. 
Now, of course, immediately after all of this happens, Goliath suddenly remembers that he has a cybernetic control station built into the anthill for his experimentations. And I'm just sitting here like, really? Really? Little late to the party here, man. That would have been really useful information like, I don't know, four pages ago when you got stuck in the anthill in the first place? Just saying, man. But as it happens, the pair make their way to the cybernetic control station. Goliath is able to fashion a new cybernetic helmet out of the available parts and takes control over the ants in the hive. Outside of the ant colony, Captain America is once again laying waste to Whirlwind, but Whirlwind realizes that he's only got a minute or so to escape because, again, there's a time bomb ticking. And as Goliath makes his escape from the anthill and goes to warn other Avengers, he admits that he saw Whirlwind set the timer on the bomb for 10 minutes, and it's been at least 9 minutes so far. So there is very, very little time for him to tell his fellow Avengers what's going on and for them to get rid of the bomb before it kills everyone. Again, I love watching all of this and watching Goliath have to do this without his powers because it's really forcing him to be a hero and accept being a hero without his normal abilities, without his normal advantages. So at times he struggles and things don't always go his way, but he keeps pushing through and he keeps proving that he has what it takes to be a hero. So, yes, he doesn't necessarily have his old niche on the team, but he certainly is continuing to prove his worth to be on the team. Thankfully, Goliath is able to activate a voice amplifier unit, and he warns Captain America and Quicksilver about the bomb, which Quicksilver is able to remove and dispose of using his super speed. Though, in the panels in which this happens, I think there is way, way too much dialogue. The art does a really good job of conveying the necessary sense of urgency, given how little time is left before this bomb explodes, but that the excess dialogue really slows down the story so you lose that same sense of urgency that the art gives you and I think that's a, a poor choice. On his way back from disposing of the bomb, Quicksilver overhears several humans making various comments about the explosion that just occurred and the fact that Quicksilver was involved and that he's a mutant and we see Quicksilver's thoughts and again they are very anti-human pro-mutant, very Magneto-ish in tone and in content in general. And the only reason I can think to push this character in this particular direction is that we are going to see the appearance of Magneto in the next three issues. And I think it's pushing Pietro closer to going back to Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Obviously, that's going to cause a bit of a divide between Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. So really, it's set up for the next couple of issues, but I don't necessarily like it. Now, to be fair, this is a lot more of the Quicksilver that we have come to know as modern comic readers. But if you remember just a couple of episodes ago, I talked about how much I like young and kind of idealist Quicksilver. He's happy, he's friendly, he doesn't hate homo sapiens. You know, he doesn't have that same anti-human kind of feel, kind of rhetoric that Magneto does. And now we are starting to diverge and go towards the more commonly accepted personification of Quicksilver. 
The bomb threat taken care of, Captain America is able to return Goliath and Scarlet Witch back to their normal sizes, although the reverse function of the reduction ray seems to have an odd effect on Wasp's powers. Or so she says. In fact, they say it in such a manner that that's lacking considerably in subtlety, where Wasp actually says, but I feel so strange, as if my powers had been affected in some way I can't even guess. So stand by for a change in Wasp's powers, because well we just got hit in the face with a hammer because well subtlety isn't exactly marvel's thing now initially when i read that i read it incorrectly and I'd actually hoped that they were implying that something had already happened to Wasp and that now she has recovered from it and that they were going to run with it. Basically coming up with an explanation for what I feel has been Wasp acting out of character. Unfortunately, that's not the case. So as we wrap up this issue, we get a quick confrontation between Quicksilver and Goliath because Quicksilver is irritated that after all he's just heard and been accused of and been through that unfortunately Captain America and the other heroes were unable to capture Whirlwind, but once that blows over, we get a quick, I think, reaffirmation of Goliath, not necessarily his place on the team, but embracing the Ant-Man part of his persona that we haven't really seen him diving into all that much. And I've mentioned before, I really miss the fact that he hasn't been doing that anywhere near as much as I think he should. So overall, I actually think that this is a pretty good issue, despite the fact that it has a fairly lame villain. Whirlwind 1 is not particularly key to this issue. Whirlwind, in fact, could be replaced with any number of other, you know, D-list villains, and the plot would work basically the same. But in spite of that, we get a really deep and kind of interesting look at really two characters. Captain America, we get to see a lot of his interior monologues before the decision he makes to give up costume heroics. And we get Goliath trying to redefine his place on the team and at least internally struggling a little bit. He's certainly not angry at Hercules for usurping his position, but at the same time, he acknowledges that Hercules is much better at that job than he is, and in order to stay a part of the team and to stay relevant, he needs to find another place on the team. I love the fact that he realizes it and that he really takes that to heart and works on it. Like I said before, it's really, really powerful character development. So before we close here, I do want to say this is going to be our last episode for a couple of weeks. This episode will come out just after Christmas, and I will be traveling for the holidays, so I won't be able to record for about two weeks. But I do plan to take this time to catch up on a few things and to work on getting ahead on issues and issue notes so that we can really hit the ground running uh, in the beginning of the new year. Expect the first new episode to come back out January 10th. That'll give me a little time to get home, get a recording done, and get it fresh out to you guys. Additionally, if you have noticed, I have done a rather significant upload of back episodes to YouTube. I have been rather remiss in my duties on doing that and I apologize and I will be working to be more on top of those but as of last episode we are completely up to date including my Thor Ragnarok review and I will be sure to get this episode uploaded as well. There will also be some changes coming to the website. I realize I have not updated that content in quite a while as well. I'm still debating exactly how I want to go about doing that but just know that in the future there will be more consistent content updates to our website, avengersassembly.com.
Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. In two and a half weeks, on January 10th, we will be taking a look at Avengers number 47, Magneto Walks the Earth. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.